Hello, this is Pam Johnson, and today I'm going to talk to you about mesenteric and renal CT angiography. Now, it's important to understand that mesenteric arterial pathology may be present on a CT, but it's often unsuspected. The findings are subtle on axial images, and for this reason, routine review of multiplanar reconstructions is critical. The sagittal reconstruction is optimal for evaluating the origin of the superior mesenteric artery and the celiac artery, and the branches of the SMA are well seen on coronal reconstructions. In this study that was published in 2007, Axial CT interpretation was compared to interactive 3D rendering in 41 patients. In about a quarter of them, the standard axial interpretation and the 3D were equivalent, but in as many as 66%, findings that were identified on the 3D reconstructions were missed on the axial images. And this was a retrospective study, but evaluation of the patient's medical records re revealed that the mesenteric lesions identified on the 3D renderings required management in 15% of the subjects. So these findings can be important. Here's an example from this paper showing a celiac end SMA stenosis. As you can see, on the axial images, the presence of narrowing is not as um, conspicuous. On the sagittal 3D rendering, in this case, we can see that there's osteal narrowing and post-stenotic dilatation of both the celiac and SMA. And as we know, the involvement of multiple mesenteric arteries can result in mesenteric ischemia. In this case, we show a small superior mesenteric artery aneurysm that is very apparent on the coronal MIP rendering. As you can imagine, this would easily be missed on axial images um, and it's a significant finding. It's often seen in patients with vasculitis and something that um, could very much change the patient's management if identified. This is an example of peripancreatic collaterals. Really important to remember this appearance because it is indicative of a high-grade stenosis of the celiac or superior mesenteric artery. And you'll see multiple arteries surrounding the pancreatic head on the axial image. In this case, there are smaller collaterals surrounding the pancreatic head on both the axial and coronal images. And as we see on the sagittal reconstruction, this is because of a high-grade celiac stenosis with calcification and narrowing at the origin. And the collaterals that form from the peripancreatic and duodenal arcades supply the celiac artery from the superior mesenteric artery so that the patient can maintain perfusion of the liver and the stomach in the setting of a high-grade celiac stenosis. In this patient, you can see how large the inferior mesenteric artery is um, all, because it is also contributing to the collateral flow. So what are the indications for performing mesenteric CT angiography? Well, this for identification of celiac or SMA stenosis in patients who might be suspected to have mesenteric ischemia. Um, other pathology that affects these vessels include median arcuate ligament syndrome, presence of an aneurysm, pseudoaneurysm, dissection, thrombus or occlusion, and then superior mesenteric artery syndrome. And I'm going to go through all of these and show you examples. So starting with mesenteric artery stenosis, it's usually due to atherosclerosis in older patients. Another cause is compression of the proximal celiac artery by the median arcuate ligament seen in younger patients. And if you look at every, every study that you interpret, you will see this not infrequently. We see it quite commonly, actually. 
you, you, um, other causes that would uh, result in mesenteric stenosis would be tumor encasement, such as in pancreatic cancer, more commonly than pancreatitis. Now, as we know, as we learned in medical school, that collaterals form between the superior mesenteric artery, inferior mesenteric artery, and celiac artery, and because of the rich collateral vasculature by the pancreatic oduodenal arcade, it requires a significant stenosis in more than one of these arteries for the patient to become s symptomatic. Chronic mesenteric ischemia is caused by occlusive disease of more than one of these vessels, most most typically due to atheroma, actually more common in women and older patients. And patients may have very nonspecific symptoms or they can have pain. They may have pain after eating, um, but they do have a, a range of less specific presentations, and so it may not be suspected. Other causes include Takayasu's disease, FMD, fibromuscular dysplasia, and then other types of vasculitis, uh, as listed here, as well as radiation therapy, and then again, median arcuate ligament syndrome. Now, one special consideration is a patient who is going to undergo pancreatic oduodenectomy or a Whipple procedure, and it's really critical that if a patient has a high-grade celiac stenosis, that this is identified and reported preoperatively. The reason being, during pancreatic oduodenectomy, the collateral vessels are ligated, and as a result, this blood supply that would be normally coming from the celiac artery to perfuse the hepatic, biliary, and gastric systems um, is compromised, and the, the patient will develop ischemia. So, if you see this on a preoperative scan in a patient who's being staged for pancreatic cancer, it's critical that the surgeon is notified of this finding. Here's a nice example of a high-grade celiac stenosis. Here's a patient with superior mesenteric artery stenosis. You can see it both axially and sagittally, and um, it's due to non-calcified plaque in this case. On the coronal image on the right, we see the extensive collateralization from the other mesenteric arteries. What are the indications for stenting in these patients with mesenteric ischemia? Well, patients who have had an unsatisfactory post-angioplasty result, which includes residual stenosis more than 30% or residual pressure gradient, a markedly eccentric lesion, a lesion at the ostium, a patient who develops a dissection after previous angioplasty or chronic occlusion, these may all be indications that the patient requires a mesenteric stent. Um, one thing to keep in mind is that restenosis is common, which is uh, another indication for stenting, but the patients tend to tolerate this fairly well. Here's an example of a 66-year-old woman who was a smoker with severe atherosclerotic disease um, who had undergone both aortofemoral bypass and superior mesenteric artery stenting. Um, and here we can see that the stent is patent with perfusion of the distal superior mesenteric artery on the coronal image. Moving on to median arcuate ligament syndrome. Now, the median arcuate is a ligament, runs obliquely between the two diaphragmatic crura. When it courses low, it can compress the celiac artery, causing various degrees of narrowing and obstruction, including occlusion. I have seen cases where the celiac is actually occluded by compression from the median arcuate ligament syndrome. Um, the median arcuate ligament. Now, it's called median arcuate ligament syndrome if the patient is symptomatic. There's a classic CT appearance with this hooked configuration, and you can see the ligament actually compressing the celiac artery. 
In the setting of a high-grade stenosis, the patient develops collaterals, as shown in this case. Patients may require stenting if they have median arcuate ligament syndrome, as shown in this case of a woman who had postprandial abdominal pain. And another patient who underwent stenting um, of the celiac artery for median arcuate ligament syndrome. Okay, let's talk a minute about visceral artery aneurysms. Again, these are often diagnosed incidentally in asymptomatic patients. With improvements in CT, with better contrast enhancement, higher spatial resolution, we now see these smaller aneurysms more frequently. What we'd like to avoid is identifying them at the point of rupture. So to identify them when they're small and can be repaired is critical as rupture is associated with a high rate of morbidity and mortality. So what are the frequency? Well, the splenic artery is most common. 60 to 80% of the aneurysms arise there. Hepatic artery in 20%, and then the remaining arteries are much less common. But aneurysms can be seen in all of these arteries. So let's talk about splenic artery aneurysms because they are the most common, and you will see these in practice if you look carefully. They're they occur more commonly in patients with portal hypertension or cirrhosis, liver transplant patients. They, uh, they can enlarge during pregnancy. They can occur in patients with arteritis and collagen vascular disease. This is a, a nice example of a splenic artery aneurysm mimicking a pancreatic neuroendocrine tumor, and it's an important pitfall to recognize that when you see a very, very well-defined, homogeneously enhancing hypervascular lesion in the pancreas and you suspect it's a neuroendocrine tumor, just make absolutely certain that it's not a splenic artery aneurysm, easily confirmed by evaluating uh, the course of the splenic artery, looking at multiple projections, this, the coronal and sagittal NPRs or 3D renderings, and um, even the setting of calcification, because both pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors and splenic artery aneurysms can have calcification. So we've seen a couple cases that were referred as PNETs and actually turned out to be splenic artery aneurysms, completely different management, as you can imagine. Here's a nice example of a splenic artery aneurysm in a patient with hepatitis. So what is the management? Well, if they're small and asymptomatic, they're followed with serial imaging. The threshold for surgical intervention is two centimeters. And in some settings where there's a higher risk of enlargement and rupture, then surgical management may be more aggressive, including women of childbearing age because they may uh, become pregnant, and cirrhotic patients because of the portal hypertension. How are they managed? Well, it depends on the location, the patient's age, the clinical status, and the operative risks. And um, it's important to recognize that the management differs depending on whether it's proximal, mid, or distal splenic artery. Aneurysms located in the proximal or mid-third can undergo be treated with simple excision, proximal and distal ligation of the artery, and, and splenic preservation, but for aneurysms that are located distally, splenectomy may be indicated. Here is a patient with hepatic artery aneurysm and a long-standing history of hepatitis, and we can see a one one-and-a-half-centimeter aneurysm rising from the hepatic, common hepatic artery. Celiac artery aneurysms are not uncommon either. We see them more given uh, the increased use of CT and the improvements in resolution. The causes include medial degeneration, 
atherosclerosis, often with a proximal stenosis and then aneurysmal dilatation distally. In many cases, if you look carefully when you see a celiac artery aneurysm, you will find a small intimal dissection because uh, patients can develop isolated dissections in the mesenteric arteries, and they may be associated with aneurysmal dilatation. And in the setting of a high-grade stenosis, um, the postenotic dilatation, as I mentioned. So patients with celiac artery aneurysms may be asymptomatic, they may be stable over time, but they are at risk for rupture. They would present with pain and GI bleeding. So um, surgery can be indicated in these patients when the aneurysm reaches a size of three centimeters in asymptomatic cases to avoid this uh, catastrophic complication. Here's an example. So whenever you're looking at the axial images, take a look at the celiac artery. If you notice that it's larger than you typically see, if you then inspect your uh, 3D images or your MPRs, you'll see that it's, there's a focal aneurysm. There may be a proximal stenosis. And as shown in this case, this is a pretty extensive aneurysm involving both the celiac and the branch and its branches. So what are the treatment options for visceral artery aneurysms? They include surgery and endovascular approaches. If, if possible, ligation or coil embolization is the treatment of choice. Treatment may also be performed by placing stents, um, which also preserves the primary arterial flow while occluding the aneurysm. Now I'd like to discuss pseudoaneurysms, which are a different entity occur in different settings and have a much higher risk of rupture. Now, a pseudoaneurysm is a vascular outpouching that does not contain all three layers of the arterial wall, may be only enclosed by the adventitia. These have a much higher risk of rupture than, your, than a visceral artery aneurysm. The most common setting is arterial erosion secondary to pancreatitis which typically involves the splenic and gastroduodenal arteries. So anytime you have a patient with pancreatitis, you must look very carefully at the arteries. This is the complication that you do not want to miss because it is a life-threatening complication that requires emergent embolization. Other causes, pancreatic surgery, trauma, iatrogenic. So how do the patients present? Well, unlike aneurysms, most of these patients are symptomatic. And in a large review of the literature, only a small percentage of them were identified incidentally. The risk of rupture of a splenic artery pseudoaneurysm can be as high as almost 40%, and untreated patient who ruptures mortality approaches 90%. The size of the aneurysm does not necessarily dictate the risk of rupture. Small pseudoaneurysms are at risk for rupture, as well as large pseudoaneurysms. How do the patients present? Well, abdominal pain hematochesia or melana, they may hemorrhage into the pancreatic duct, or they may have hematemesis. And here is an example of a pancreatic um, gastroduodenal pseudoaneurysm, peripancreatic in a patient who had pancreatitis. You also see in this case that there's a thrombus in the portal vein. This was a rather complicated case. But you can see the vascular mass in the region of the pancreatic head. This is the typical location for gastroduodenal artery pseudoaneurysm. In this case, here's a pseudoaneurysm in a case published in the literature of a 45-year-old uh, man who had pain and a remote history of pancreatitis, and we can see in this case that there's a splenic artery pseudoaneurysm. Okay, I think what I'll do is stop here, and when I start up, back up 
um, at the next session, we'll move on to other types of mesenteric pathology and then um, mesenteric artery pathology and then move on to renal CT angiography. So thank you very much for your attention and have a great day.